Welcome to the Devoted City Church podcast. Our mission is to help people find, trust, and follow Jesus. To learn more about our church, visit devotedcity.com. In today's episode, you'll hear a message from our lead pastor, Donnie Williams, or a member of our teaching team. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Well, it's great to be back. I've been away for a couple of weeks, and we have an awesome teaching team at LifePoint. So thank you guys that uh, taught over the last five weeks. I really appreciate that. So we're back in this series uh, where we're going through the book of James, and we called it How Faith Works because that's what James talks about. He talks about how we take the faith that we say we have and how do we implement that into our lives on a daily basis. We have two more after this week leading up to that big day on August the 27th. So if you're joining us for the first time today, let me refresh your memory of what James talks about. So he writes this letter in the New Testament to the first century church on how belief or faith can move into action in our lives. Because here's what we've learned so far. It can be summed up in this one statement. True faith in Christ leads to genuine actions for Christ. See, the fact that you believe in Jesus should change things. It should change the way you treat other people. It should change the, the kind of the way you talk about people when they're not around. Your faith in Jesus should change the things you believe and support and get behind and say and post and like and share. Your faith in Jesus should affect all of those things. And so for five chapters, James says, look, here are some ways that your faith should be affecting your life on a day-to-day basis. Today, we're gonna talk about how the world acts versus how people of faith act. So we left off in this section a couple weeks ago where we're talking about wisdom and where we get our wisdom from. Do we get our wisdom from the word of God, from God, or do we get it from the world? Because you can operate in worldly wisdom and believe you're wise, but not be wise and leave out godly wisdom. And so that's what we talked about. Are you, going, are you living with godly wisdom or worldly wisdom? See, godly wisdom, here's how you can tell. Godly wisdom brings people together. It unites people around the message of Christ, the gospel of Christ. That's what it does. Worldly wisdom divides people. It pulls them away from each other, causes them to dislike and treat each other poorly. That's what worldly wisdom does. And so I wanna start out just letting you evaluate where you are because we all struggle with this because we live in the world yet we're not supposed to be like the world. So it's a lifelong struggle of, well, how much of the world am I allowing to influence my faith in Christ? So it's a, it's a struggle for everybody. There's nobody in here that can say, I have totally conquered the world's influence on my life. If you have, you can have the microphone because none of us have. We're all working on it. We're all living with that tension of being pulled towards the world but yet saying we're people of faith and should be being pulled towards Christ. So all of us deal with it. So evaluate yourself. If you look on this little continuum here and think about right now where you are, are you uh, more being pulled towards the world in your life? Are you being more pulled towards God? 
Now, I think where a lot of people are is we tend to compartmentalize our lives. And so you say, well, one area of my life, I'm way over here and I'm, I'm following God. I'm pulled towards the things of God. But then in another area of my life, I may be pulled over here. And James is saying it shouldn't be that way. That shouldn't be the way people of faith live. And so he starts, we're going to pick up in chapter 4, verse 4, where James is being very direct. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity towards God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now that's like in your face from the first word out of his mouth today. It's a strong fa- phrase. It's, it can hurt people's feelings. You know, it's harsh. And we, you know, we live in a world that you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Everybody's feelings gets hurt. Everybody's got feelings. You can't hurt their feelings. But James comes along and says, you adulterous people. Do you think when he was writing this, he thought, well, I don't want to hurt people's feelings. No, he wasn't because he loved them. And he was willing to tell them what they needed to hear. James was more concerned with truth than feelings. And our world is more concerned with feelings and truth. So we need to be more concerned about what's the truth. Feelings are secondary to the truth, always. That doesn't mean you're mean and harsh to people. But James, in your face tone of starting out saying, you adulterous people, shows that he's speaking from a place of love. It shows that he cares about them. It shows he's their friend. In fact, a friendship that's unwilling to confront is no friendship at all. A friendship that says, I love you, but I'm never gonna confront you is a friendship that needs to be reevaluated on who really cares about who. Now, there's right and wrong ways to confront people. There's, there's mean, nasty ways to do it. That's not what James is doing. He's being firm and clear, but not mean and nasty. There's a difference. He's saying, you adulterous people, you love the world too much. And he's saying, that's your problem. And so like a good friend, he calls them all adulterers. <laughs> the word adulterous in this context, it means someone who is faithless towards God. Someone who has been in a relationship with God and now they've betrayed him and moved in a different direction. It's saying, you people have betrayed God and embraced the world. Now, the word world in scripture is used three different ways. You could see it's many different words translated world into English, but it's primarily, it's gonna be one of these three. It's gonna be world meaning the planet. God created the world, the planet, the rocks, the trees, the air, the, the water, he created everything. So that's one way the world is talked about. Another way the world is talked about is that Jesus died for the sins of what? The world, people. So sometimes the world means the planet in scripture. Sometimes it means the people on it because Jesus died for us. But in this case, when James is talking about friendship with the world, he's talking about a whole other concept, which is a system. In 1 John uh, chapter five, he says that, that the world is under the control of who? The evil one, that's Satan. So in 1 John five nineteen, we learn about the system that is under control 
of the evil one. That's what James is talking about when he says being a friend of the world is hatred towards God. Being a friend of the system, being in the system, because that system is controlled by Satan himself. So as I love the world more, by default, I'll love God less. A few months ago, we went through the Sermon on the Mount, and it's the core of Jesus' teaching. And in Matthew chapter 6, he says that uh, nobody can love both God and money. And what he's saying is that your heart doesn't have enough room to love both God and money. James is saying you need to love God instead of the world because your heart doesn't have enough room to do both. It's one or the other. You're going to lean towards one or lean towards the other. He said it's enmity towards God, which means actively opposing and hostile towards God. So when I cozy up to the world's way of thinking or acting or believing, when the world becomes my greatest resource for how to handle anything that's going on in the world, then I'm cozying up to the world. So when you look at how you think we should solve the world's problems, and you're looking at any resource other than the word of God, and you're putting that above the word of God, that means you're cozying up to the world. And James says, that's enmity towards God. That's in opposition or it's hostile towards God. It looks like this. If I'm going to be a friend of the world, then I'm going to be an enemy of God. If I'm going to be a friend of God, then I'm going to be an enemy of the world. Those are my choices. I, I would choose God, that's just so you know. Like, be a friend of God. Now, that's going to put you in a place many times where you're an enemy of the world. See, friendship with the world simply means this. Adopting its values, adopting its definitions, adopting its priorities and mindsets, which are all contrary to the words of God. It's a choice. So if you want the world to like you, we've got a bunch of students in here. Hope you guys had an awesome, did you have an awesome weekend? Did y'all have an, did y'all and Carrie, did you have an awesome weekend? I can hear you. Here's what you have to choose between. Am I going to be a friend of the world or am I going to be a friend of God? And if you want to be like the world around you, you're always going to live with this feeling that you're far from God. And you know what feelings of being far from God makes rise up in people? Anxiety, worry, fear. Now, I'm not talking about any clinical issue you might be dealing with. I'm just talking about worry, fear, anxiety, depression, all of those things accompany people who live a double life. I'm a follower of Jesus, but I want to look like the world. I'm a follower of Jesus, but I want to explain things like the world explains it. That brings all of that stuff, paranoia, all that stuff comes up in people when they want to look like the world and want the world to like them. See, the system of the world will always be opposed to the things of God. We will never reconcile it because Satan controls the system of the world. And so he's never going to align himself with God. He's never going to align himself with what's good. So there's always going to be this tug of war back and forth between the things of the world, the things of hell, the things of Satan and the things of God. And it's always going to be there. 
And so many followers of Jesus think that we win by becoming more like the world and sounding like it, and that's the opposite. We lose when we do that. So many people just give up and say, I'm, I'm just gonna go with their way. That's becoming like the world. That's being a friend of the world. And then you wake up one day and think, Where, I feel so, this big distance between me and God. So there was this, uh, this old farmer once was driving in his truck. You remember a long time ago, y'all in the front won't remember this, but trucks used to have just one seat across there. Who remembers bench seat trucks? Well, guys, if you had a truck and you had a girlfriend, where did she ride? Right beside you. It looked like a two-headed person driving your truck, right? And, and she would ride beside you, put her head on your shoulder, and you'd drive down the road. I grew up in a town of like a thousand people, one mile back and forth, and there were a lot of two-headed people <laughs> driving their trucks. Well, this old farmer one day driving his truck, his bride, his wife of 45 years is sitting over next to the window. This young couple goes by. The young couple, she's sitting in the middle. She's got his head on her shoulder, on his shoulder, and he's just driving through town. And the wife looks over at her husband and says, look at that. Remember that used to be us? Remember when we drove down the road like that? You had your arm around me. I had, your, had my head on your shoulder. What's happened to us? What's created this distance between us? And the old farmer, man, a few words, he's driving and he's like, well, I'm not, I ain't the one that moved. <laughs> so if, if you feel, if you feel this distance between you and God, that once you were together and now there's a distance, He's not the one that moved. God's where he's always been. Awaiting on us in humility to come to him and say, I was wrong. I've been loving the world and I want to love you more. So any distance between me and God is not because God separates himself from me. It's because I separate myself from God by cozying up to the world and its ways. And that's what James is saying when he starts out this section saying, you adulterous people. Remember this. The closer we are to the world, the further we are from God. That's what James is teaching. Now he goes on to, to describe what it looks like to be opposed to God in verses five and six. After he calls them an adulterous people, stop being a friend of the world. Then he says, or do you think that the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. See, God put his spirit in mankind when he created us. He breathed his life and his likeness into the nostrils of mankind. And he longs for that spirit to be returned to him. And he says, but he gives us more grace. This, that is why the scripture said, says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. As in your face as James started out, he says, now he's saying this with the hopes of guiding people out of their sin back into a relationship with God or back into that closeness that they once had with God. See, God created you and he longs to have a relationship with you. In fact, he longs to have a relationship with you so much that he'll give grace and we need more grace, he gives more grace. If you need a little grace one day, he gives you a little. If you need a lot one day, he gives you a lot. 
That's how much he longs for a relationship with you. But then James mentions something that is a grace blocker. It says favor in the NIV. It says, uh, you know, favor towards God, favor with God. It's the same word, charis, in Greek that's translated grace. So grace and favor mean the same thing. So God shows favor or grace to the humble. So when Jesus was on earth, if you've ever read the teachings of Jesus, Jesus hung out with sinners a lot. He was around them a lot. And some people use that to say, mom, dad, I gotta be around sinners. Jesus was. I gotta be around these people. Look what they're doing. They need me to be around them. Jesus did not hang out with sinners to become like them or tell them it's okay to do what they're doing. He hung around them to love them, confront them, give them his grace so they could find forgiveness. That's why Jesus hung around uh, sinners. And that's the reason we should too. That's the reason we should all have people in our lives that don't know Jesus, not to make them feel better about where they are, but to make them feel better about this amazing grace that's available to them when they're willing to, in humility, turn and face God. Grace is always stronger than sin. We all have sin, so we all need grace. See, and our willingness to confront sin has to always be accompanied with with an understanding and communicating what the grace of God is. Confronting sin without sharing the grace of God is rude. It's mean. But confronting sin and sharing the answer the grace of God that's found in the gospel of Christ, that's what we are all called to do if we're followers of Jesus. And James mentioned this thing that pulls people away from God, pride. Now the world celebrates pride. God never celebrates pride. The world celebrates it. God condemns it. God celebrates being close to him and receiving his grace. So what is pride? Let's Let's determine, well, what's pride first before saying God condemns it? Pride, it comes from a Greek word. Uh, you won't remember this. It's, it's pronounced hupernerphanos, uh, and it, it just simply means pride, but it's showing oneself above others. It means overtopping, being above others, believing that you're preeminent. That's pride. In fact, pride is the first sin recorded in the Bible. Because if you know the story of Adam and Eve, God created Adam and Eve, created the world. Uh, he put the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden. Eve was there one day. Adam was behind her. The serpent came up. Satan appeared as a serpent. And the first thing he gets her to do is to talk about what God told her to do and not to do. The first question he asks is, did God really say that? And then when she says, yeah, God really said that, he said, you know what? Here's why God said that, because he knows when you disobey him and and obey this inner thing that's inside of you, he knows that you'll be like him. That's pride. You'll be just like God. If you get this knowledge, this special knowledge by disobeying God, then you'll be just like God. And from that moment on, humans have struggled with two kinds of knowledge. Self-based knowledge and God-based knowledge, two kinds. Self-based knowledge, we know from scripture, comes from hell. 
And following that will not ever lead you down the right road. You'll never find Christ going down the road of self-based knowledge. God-based knowledge comes from heaven. And God-based knowledge is what changes us. See, pride comes from hell because pride began in the heart of Satan. And you may not know this. I'd like to do a whole series on this, but Satan actually was an angel in heaven at some point before the world was ever created. He, He was in heaven with God. But you know what happened? His heart got full of pride. And when his heart got full of pride, he began to believe that he was the source of truth. All that comes from Satan. You might think it was a philosopher 50 years ago, 100 years ago. It goes further back than that. It comes from Satan himself. To think that someone has a source of truth inside them. That started in the Garden of Eden And it started before that with Satan himself. In fact, it's described in the book of Isaiah. uh, There's a prophecy in there and it's talking about an earthly king, but it's also referring to Satan when it says this. This may not be on the screen, but just listen. It says in verse uh, 13 of chapter 14, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation of the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. That is Satan in his heart saying, I'm going to be like God. Now he'd already told Eve, if you do this, you'll be like God. And so then this hell-based knowledge that's based in self came into the world through him. Pride is always in opposition to God. Always. Now, I'm not talking about when you say, oh, I'm proud of my kids. Don't go, oh, I can't say that anymore. No, being proud of our kids or proud of our job or proud of the work we do, that's a different word for pride. It means more like I'm pleased. It's a stronger way of saying, I'm really pleased with the choices my kids have made and I'm really proud of the choices my kids have made. It means the same thing. But that's not the kind of pride that James is saying, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride blocks the grace or favor of God. The first step in receiving the grace of God is simple. Realize I need it. If you don't think you need it, you'll never reach out for it. You don't think you need the grace of God? Why would you reach out for it? If you think you got it all settled? See, pride says, I know best. And my knowledge is based on me and nowhere else. Humility says, God, you know best. And it may go against my feelings. It may go against what I believe to be natural. But God, in humility, I want you to know that I'm going to do what you know and think is best. Now, it's not that God doesn't want to forgive. It's not that God looks at the prideful person and says, I don't want to forgive you. It's the prideful person looks at God and thinks they have no sin in them to ask for forgiveness for. That's why God doesn't forgive. That's why he opposes and doesn't give grace to the prideful. It's because the prideful don't even know they need it and will refuse to acknowledge it. And so that blocks the grace of God in somebody's life. How can someone repent of a sin they don't even believe they're committing? They can't because of pride. And we know what sin looks like. 
Sin is self over God and self over truth. So if that's where sin comes from, where does, where does humility come from? What does, what does humility look like? The first word in verse 7, uh, he says submit. Without submission, there won't be forgiveness. Without submission, there won't be a wiping away of sins. And he says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's good news. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Embrace him and he'll be your buddy. See, the devil, Satan, is a finite being. He's not all-powerful and all-knowing. He can't be everywhere at the same time. He's not all-present like God is. And so, since Satan has limited resources and God has unlimited resources, he's not going to work a long time on somebody that resists him. But somebody that welcomes him, he's going to sit right down beside of them. And once he gets them to believe that they're the source of truth and it's their pride puffing them up, he can move on to the next victim. Then he says, come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. More loving words. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. If I'm going to be lifted up, it's going to come from a humility. Back to our original thought, the closer we are to the world, the further we're going to be from God. When, when he says uh, to stand against Satan, when he says uh, to, to make sure you resist the devil, it comes from two words that, says, that means stand against, two Greek words. Put together, it means stand against. So since the world is under the control of the evil one, what he's saying is resist the world and its way of thinking. That's hard to do. And what happens is we start out with God. We're with God. Uh, may, maybe you remember making that commitment to follow Jesus and you're with him and it's great. Like you're memorizing scripture, you're singing all the songs, you're coming to church, youth group, all that stuff. And then all of a sudden something in the world sounds appealing and then you move a little further. And then it sounds more appealing and you move a little further. Because anything that sounds or feels appealing to you, you will find somebody in the world to affirm it. No matter what it is, they will. And they'll say, be you. You just be you. Awesome. You just be you. And all the time, that prideful internal thing in us moves us further and further and further away from God. So we're not just called to run from sin. We're called to run to God. So he's saying, submit, resist, and come near to God. All of us are called to do that. All of us have allowed the world to influence how we think. Now, you might be sitting there going, oh, I haven't done that. Oh, I haven't done that. Be careful. Because we all have. Because we live in it. We're around it. There's smart people that say smart sounding things and make us go, oh, I never thought about it. Mm, okay, I, okay, I'll get with that. That's where we need to be careful. Are we allowing our pride of being right and having other people like us pulling us further and further away from God? And James says, 
Access to God comes through humility. Never through pride. Never. I've seen people overcome with grief when they saw their sin. I've literally seen people fall on the floor in a fetal position and wail, just like James is talking about. Because all of a sudden, the blinders came off and they realized, I am far from God. I have hurt people. I have said things I shouldn't. I've done things I shouldn't. I've been a prideful person. Now, God, receive me back. Let me have your grace. And you know what else happens? 100% of the time, God gives it. In the measure somebody needs it, he gives it. So if you feel guilty, only feel guilty long enough to get you before God to say, God, I need some grace. So God's not asking us to come and earn grace. He's just asking us to come and receive it. He's already earned it. He's willing to give it. If that's, that's, a, good, that's a good story, that's good news. No matter how much I've lived for myself, I can turn it around and live for God. That's, a, that's good news. That should make people go, that's, that's it? I just got to receive God's grace? Yep. Why don't more people do it? Because of what I've already said, if you don't think what you're doing is wrong, you'll never change it. And if you won't ever let those convicting words into you and you run from it every time, oh, it feels uncomfortable, I'm gonna run from that. It feels uncomfortable, I'm gonna run from that. And you run from it, you'll never change. You're gonna block the grace of God every time. In fact, in Romans chapter eight, I love what the apostle Paul says. He says, Those who live according to the flesh, this may not be on the screens either if you're in the room, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And this one, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law nor can it do so. Of course it can't. If you don't think what you're doing is wrong, why would you ever be motivated to change? The closer we are to the world, the further we are from God. See, that's a picture of repentance. Write down Acts 3.19. Repent and turn to God, your sins will be wiped out. That's what we do. We turn and walk away. There was, there's a great illustration from history that people in the first century who were being baptized, you see us baptized people a lot. Uh, that, and that just means it's somebody that uh, is ready to fully submit their lives to Christ. They come and they say, I want to leave my old life behind, start a new life. They're lowered into the watery grave of baptism and they're raised up to walk a new life. Every person who followed Jesus in the first century church throughout the book of Acts did that. And so we make that available to everybody all the time, anytime. But here's what they did in the first century. When they would get ready to go down into the water, they would turn and look the opposite direction. They would put their back to what would represent God and they would put their face towards the world. Like looking at the world, Satan, And then in a ceremonial way, they would turn back around as if to say, I'm turning my back on pride. I'm turning my back on selfishness. I'm turning my back on Satan, who's the author of all that. And they turn their back and they resist him 
and they walk into this watery grave of baptism saying, I'm done going that direction. I now want to go in another direction. On August the 27th, it's a fresh start for our church, but it can also be a fresh start for you. We will baptize you anytime you're ready to come and follow Jesus. If that's today, we'll make it happen. But if you need a date in your mind to motivate you, August 27th, let that be the date. Because we're gonna celebrate baptisms that day. And some of the people in this room, some of the people watching online, some people in care, you're gonna go, it's my time to look at the world and say, I'm done with you. I'm gonna turn my back on you and I'm gonna walk with Christ. Doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect, but you know what it means? You're in a place to no longer be blocking the grace of God that he desperately wants to send into all of our lives. And so here's what I'd like you to do this week. You got this little card. It's just a blank note card. There should have been one on your seat. There'll be some in the back if you didn't get one. Just ask one of the ushers. Uh, But just keep this with you. But draw this line on it. Draw this line with the world on one side, God on the other side. Draw that arrow that's pointing in both directions. And put this where you can see it. Maybe by your phone. (laughs) Or by your screen or in your car. Maybe on your desk at work. Maybe you're a difficult work environment. Maybe there at school. Some of you moving into school soon. Put this somewhere so you can be thinking, am I being influenced toward God or towards the world? Because if I'm a friend of the world, James says I will be an enemy of God. And if I'm a friend of God, then I'll be an enemy of the world. So we can choose our enemies. And I hope you choose the world. Let's pray. God, uh, when we hear teaching that's this challenging, that convicts us to think differently, to confront differently, to love differently. God, may you help us as we walk through this week to identify where we're thinking like the world where we're thinking like hell instead of like heaven. And God, whether that's with our money, with our friendships, with the things we like, post and share at work, whatever it is, God, convict us. And may each person in this room have the humility to say, God, you are right and I am wrong no matter how I feel. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Devoted City Church Podcast. If you liked today's episode, rate us and subscribe so others can be encouraged too. We invite you to join us on a weekend at one of our locations or online at devotedcity.com.